self-awareness. That's uh, harder than it, it sounds. Oftentimes we compare ourselves to a certain benchmark and that's what I was doing. Hey, what's going on? You're listening to the Live Leaderly Podcast. I'm your host, Darren Alba. Here on the show, we invite guests from all walks to share their stories about leadership, which just become stories about life. I ask that with the people in your life, please tell your story, listen to theirs, but in the meantime, we'll do it together here on the Live Leaderly Podcast. And joining us on the show today, retired Army officer, chief learning officer here at Leaderly, and my dad, Albert Alba. Dad, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, thanks, Darren. Never thought that this day would come where I'd be on a podcast with my son, but I think it's super cool. No, I, I think this is super cool, too. I've uh, I've had the chance to talk to your classmates and friends over the last couple of weeks, so it's it's time that we get you uh, we get you on the podcast. One, one thing I really appreciate is y'all have somehow stayed really close over the years. It's been, you guys graduated in 1989, and uh, you guys talk about each other as if you just you know, you chatted last week. How have you stayed so close without social media over the years? You know, that that's an age where you didn't have instant email and social media. It's it's amazing to me. Well, it's really the the bond of friendship. I'm talking, I'm going way back to prep school for some of the folks that you uh, interviewed. Think about the bonds that we created then when we were all trying to get to West Point. You know, we were all in this world of uncertainty. Some call it maybe, uh, but those bonds uh, keep you close even without social media. Then we got to West Point, even though we were scattered, I created new friends. And uh, so I had my prep school friends and then I had my company friends who whom I stayed in contact with for four years. We were in the same company for four years. And I think just in general, when you like people, you bond with them, you tend to look for them. And with social media now, it's easy to look for them and say, hey, what's going on? And now we're in our mid fifties going on sixties. And I'm glad you brought that up because uh, it warms my heart to know that you've gotten the chance to speak to those same friends of mine and got to listen to them. Yeah, I've, I've gotten to hear small stories here and there about you helping them shine, just little things like you helping them shine shoes and, and learn <laughs> all these small skills over the years. But people remember that 30, you know, 30 plus years down the line. So I think that's really cool. And I, I hope to have that kind of bonding connection with my classmates over the years. So we'll roll into uh, my favorite question of the podcast. That is, uh, what's uh, what's your first, your earliest memory of leadership? Maybe when you were a kid or a teenager. What, what was that for you? Well, I'm going to take you back in time, <laughs> well before you. Uh, so I was in the Philippines, uh, just ten years old, and uh, we were living in this very small barrio, 342 strong. And my dad got the permission from my grandpa to build a new house over the old ancestral home, and so. Midway through the development, my dad approached me and said, hey, Albert, is there any way uh, you can gather some folks together? I'm like, what is it for? Remember, I'm 10 years old. Uh, I have a mission for you. I need to help me build this house. <laughs> I said, well, that's a, that's a really a big ask. But I said, well, tell me what you want me to do. He says, well, I need you to gather some sand. I said, dad, I don't have a car. I, don't, I can't even drive. He said, no, no, no. The sand, you can get it right there by the riverside. And there's a particular kind of sand that we need for this project. Okay, I said, so how many people do you need? So he gave me the specifics. I said, so what's in it <laughs> for us? What's in it for my friend? He said, oh, I'm going to pay you. I'm going to pay you 25 centavos for every can of sand that you get. So I gathered my friends as well as uh, my brother. And uh, I basically gave them the op order, if you will, operations order. We need sand. We're going to get it here. 
and then we're going to get paid 25 cents. So my friend said, you know how far the river is from here? <laughs> and I thought to it, I said, oh, wow. Okay, so we created this uh, contraption with a bamboo and two tin cans, and imagine it suspended over your shoulder. So going down to the river was easy, going downhill. Once you loaded that up with sand and, and you made your way back to the house, now that was a character building, okay? We, we got up. You can see these guys, you know, with bamboo coming up, and then we deposit in, the, in our old. We did this for about a week, but once we got that first trip going up that hill, it was hard to go back the second time. And I think that's why my calves got so strong there. <laughs> and I was, I was able to make it on the track too. But so that was great. But then my dad said, well, I'm done with sand. Now I want you to do something else for me, son. I'm like, what is it? Dad says, I need you to gather some rocks. Yeah, certain kinds of rocks. We don't want the porous ones because I want you to make gravel out of it. So I told my friends, I said, well, that's going to be even heavier. And my dad said, oh, we're going to pay you one peso for every can. So... These guys looked at me and said, we can do this. We went down there, and man, that first trip with those two cans, I, had, I couldn't even fill the cans up. So there we were. We would gather the rocks. We'd come into our little you know, individual spots, and we were making little gravels. <laughs> and I really didn't think much of it. At the end of the day, I'd gather my folks, and we'd say, okay, let's measure it. And they got paid. And I'd say, hey, guys, thanks for all the work. I'll see you in the morning. That That's a <laughs> awesome story. I don't think you've told me that one, actually. <laughs> And so now knowing what you know about leadership uh, over over the years, what what elements of that that story were were leadership, you know, as a as a 10-year-old kid? Well, as a 10-year-old kid, I didn't know the word, I probably know how to spell it, influence. How do I influence my friends to do something? My dad had ulterior motives. This was during the summer. He wanted to give us something to do. So keep them out of trouble, give them something to do, and they can do it together. Well, I didn't realize that young Al, Albert, the leader, could influence my friends. But of course, there was good buy-in. But more importantly, I think the biggest lesson, Darren, was that I led by example. I went down there. <laughs> I put that bamboo over my shoulder. I went up that hill. We can do this, especially when we first put the gravel, I mean, the rocks in there. They're looking at me like, I don't know. We're 10-year-old. We're like 10 to 12-year-old kids. And I said to myself, Leading by example, yep. I didn't use those phrases back then, but uh, to answer your question, I learned to influence, and I learned that you have to lead by example to get people to follow you. Influencing, learning by example, taking buckets of sand and rocks up and down the hill to, to build a house. That's, a, that's an awesome story. Thanks for sharing, Dad. And, and so, uh, you know, covered quite a bit of ground since then. Uh, what Can you talk a little more about where you're from, Dad? Well, uh, I was born in Norfolk, Virginia. Okay. Uh, I grew up a Navy brat until I was about nine years old. So my dad was stationed in Alameda, California. Uh, but after he retired, he made this decision. Well, we're going to the Philippines. We just picked up everything we had in Oakland, California and moved to, as I mentioned, this small town called San Jose Pili. It's a ancestral, close to the ancestral home of my mom and a equal region of the Philippines. I lived in the Philippines for nine years, Darren. Before, nine years before coming back. Before coming back. I went to the, the remaining of my elementary school. I went, I graduated from high school in the Philippines. And then I actually did two and a half years of civil engineering until I said, Dad, I want to go back to the United States. And uh, 
although it was emotional, eventually I got the ticket and I, I was allowed to live with my brother who was in the army at the time stationed at Fort Ord, California. Is that a, is that why you decided to go to the army? Cause you, you know, you saw your brother doing that or what, what made you eventually join the army? Uh, some folks laugh at this, but, uh, there was a commercial back then in the late seventies and early eighties and it went, be all that you can be join the army. Uh, some folks listening to this podcast, yeah, I remember that. And there's a tone to it. Like, be all that you can be, join the army. I saw that. Of course, my brothers were all in the military. My dad was retired. And uh, that's all I knew. Maybe it, for a better word, I'd say I was institutionalized. <laughs> I'm a dependent. Same. Yeah, yeah, same for you. <laughs> but uh, there, was a, there was a pull. I saw what the military did for my father, who served through World War II, you know. Korea and Vietnam. I saw what it did for my siblings. They, it brought them stability. And I said, I wanted some of that too. But believe it or not, I wanted to go to college first. One thing that my parents told me is that you're going to go back to the U.S. and you're going to do what all your brothers did. You're going to join the military. You're going to forget about college. Wow, they were so right. (laughs) (laughs) Because once I got into the army, college was not my priority anymore because I actually enjoyed being where I was. I enjoyed being with the other soldiers. I enjoyed being a private, private first class, a specialist. And uh, yeah, college was not anything close to, you know, my next step. And, the, and then you made your way to West Point. You applied. You, you took that shot. How did that come about? Yeah. So basically, I was a, I, I was a telecommunication center operator. I, for, I thought I was pretty big stuff because I had a top secret clearance. I was working in a com- communication center. And one day a message came out and my my uh, my friend said, hey, Al, you need to check this message. Your name's all over this message. I'm like, basically, the letter said the following soldiers from these tenant activities uh, are eligible to attend the United States Military Academy, possibly through the prep school. Uh, long story short there, I said, uh, that's not for me. My family is they're all non, non-commissioned officers. We're all enlisted. I don't know any officers personally, and I don't think uh, I have what it takes to get through West Point. But uh, as it would be, I ran into my supervisor who looked at me and says, you're not going to give it even a chance. And I said, what do you mean? And he says, I'll tell you what, I'll help you apply. And then when you get accepted, you can go ahead and decline it. You talk about a manipulation, right? And so she did. I got accepted via prep school and the rest is history. Got accepted via prep school. I went through the academy, which we could probably do a whole podcast just about. Academy, uh, but a, a question because you went on and, and had a, a full military career after that. If uh, you could go back to that, a younger Al, maybe what kind of leadership advice do you think a, a younger Al could have benefited from? Over time, I gained experience. Over time, I gained competence. And competence comes with these skills that you put in your tool bag. But uh, as a 10 year old, I'd give that Al a, a B for leadership, <laughs> okay, without having, you know, the benefit of court, your school. But now, you know, as I went through life, especially as I was deployed in combat, there was one theme that I still remember as a kid that I have, uh, I've been true to, and that is lead by example. Uh, I was not going to ask my guys to do anything that I wasn't prepared to do, especially to put them in harm's way. So think about that. Yeah, leading by example, carrying those cans of sand and rock, may seem so small back then, but jump forward in time, being in the Gulf War or being in Iraq where there's IEDs exploding left and right, you know, your soldiers are looking at you. 
You know, they know that everyone has fear, but they want to see a leader that's going to lead by example. And uh, to answer your question, that's what I developed over time in a sort of of like a higher level. Mm -hmm. I really understood how important it was for me to show courage, to show that I'm willing to do what I'm telling you to do. And uh, I kind of use that to guide the rest of my life and continue to do that. Before applying to West Point, you you found yourself saying, I, I don't I don't have what it takes for, for West Point. That's not me. Um, I think that gets in the way of a lot of people, whether it be leadership or any other hurdle or challenge in their life. There's, they say, I, I don't have what it takes. What, did, uh, what advice would you have for someone who might be kind of stuck in that kind of mindset that they don't they don't have the chops? And you know, I was fortunate because I had the benefit of having Eunice Sharp, who saw it in me. And she told me, she said, you have what it takes. So, you know, as much, you know, some folks will think about it. Like in my case, I had a high school diploma. You know, I went to school, graduated from a foreign high school. And now I, I said, now I'm going to compete against all of these Americans from across the 50 United States. Do I really have a shot? I had quite a bit of uh, what do you call it? It's a word I'm trying not to, uh, insecurity or insecurity. Uh... there was insecurity for sure. I didn't think that I had what it took to get there just based on what I knew from my readings about the academy. But once again, uh, it, it really if it wasn't for other people to tell me, you got to believe in yourself. You do. You're smarter than what you really think. And uh, I will tell you. For those folks that think, okay, I may come from another country or I come from a public school that's not known, don't sell yourself short. But also it helps to have family that believes in you. Sometimes you do need some folks to, to pull you up mm-hmm. to say you can do this. If, if anything, give it a shot. Because yeah. if I didn't give it a shot back in 1984, who knows what could have happened. Don't sell yourself short. Give, it, give yourself a shot. Because otherwise, you have no chance whatsoever. Take a shot, and uh, someone saw something in you that you didn't see in yourself. So it's uh, uh, we we don't I think quite understand the power of believing in others and kind of showing you believe in others. Um, and they'll you know they'll surprise themselves if you can show them. Yeah, because um, I mean we talk a lot about nowadays about emotional intelligence, self awareness. That's uh, harder than it it sounds to be able to look inward and say yes, I know what my strengths are, my weaknesses. Oftentimes, we compare ourselves to a certain benchmark, right? And that's what I was doing. Mm-hmm. My benchmark, I didn't have any historical benchmark. So what I do now is that I pay it forward. I try to do what Eunice Sharp did to me. and a chance to do that at West Point when I returned as a faculty member. And I had a chance to do that when I was at the University of Texas Arlington, when I was a professor of military science, where I would see things within so, you know, the cadets, cadet candidates, and say, no, you can do this. Matter of fact, there were a couple of them that I uh, you know, recommended to go to West Point. And they know there's no way, sir, no way, sir. And believe it or not, you know, they made it in. One of them made it into your class, mm-hmm. the class of 2015. So there's a part of me, I'm very thankful for what Eunice Sharp did to me, but I pay that back by paying it forward to other folks as well. Paying it forward, helping them see that in themselves, and then they, uh, they'll surprise themselves. Uh, a lot of mentors that you've mentioned in your life, the ones that saw those things in you and, and really gave you that boost, the, the mentors that have the most have had the most impact on you, what kinds of things would they do? What kinds of things did you admire in them that you've tried to make a part of you, just like you know, just encouraging people and, and helping people see that? I would think when I think back to the best mentors I had, they were the ones that were hard. They were the ones that, uh, hey, here's a mission. You're going to do the mission. 
but they were also ones to give you constructive feedback. Oftentimes, you know, some folks think back, oh, I hate that leader. I hate that. You have to ask yourself, why do you hate them so much? Because they made you work so hard? Right? But when you think about it, you said, what made that person do that? Now, of course, we look at leaders. We make our own judgment, right? What we think about leaders. And guess where that started? When I was at West Point, I considered that a leadership lab. I got to evaluate my professors. I got to evaluate the cadets above me, the seniors, the juniors also. I got to evaluate my classmates. I considered a big lab that said, I'm not going to be like him. I want to look like that person. I want to be like that. Look at him. And uh, I think over time, I saw these mentors. Now they were more senior to me. And I was thankful that uh, I had an open mind to get past, the, okay, he's being hard on me, you know, because the bottom line, they knew they could pull something out of me. They knew that maybe I didn't know that I could do this. I mean, and so it's not always that you got to find a, a mentor that's going to be nice to you. It's someone who's going to be able to push you, push your limits. And I think those are the best mentors I had. They pushed me to be better than what I thought I was. Yeah, and, and Grandpa literally pushed you up a hill with <laughs> pails of rocks okay. and sand. You, know? uh, you bring up Grandpa. Uh, there were a few things that came out of that experience as a 10-year-old. One, I realized that there was a little leader in me. I didn't want to call it leadership qualities, but there was a leader in me, right? But there is a, a part of it when I think about your grandpa, and I thought of empathy so much. I mean, he knew, you know, a lot of folks in our neighborhood were very poor, and I'll just say it the way it is. And he knew that there was a way he could help, help that. And there's a way that he could help me, you know, work with my, my friends. And that's what he did. So when I think of him, it's amazing how much more admiration I had for him because it taught me one thing. With only a sixth grade education, that's what your grandpa had, you know, sixth grade education, this man knew how to think outside the box. Call it what you want, innovation creativity, manipulation. Well, guess what? As I was bringing up you and Karen, you know, I had to do the same thing. How do I think outside the box? Because the uh, kids don't come with instructions, right? I know, I know. <laughs> I, now you know it because you have uh, Ellie. Uh, I thought back to your grandpa with the very little education he had. Oh my God. Uh, he thought outside the box and taught me to do the same thing. Think outside the box, you know, outside of your comfort zone possibly. And uh, some great things will come out of it. So, yeah, I, I really admire your grandpa for that. And uh, I try to continue on to think outside the box. Think outside the box. Just growing up, I didn't, I guess, label those kinds of things as leadership. You and mom would put on events and parties and games and stuff just to get us kids doing things and make us think and make us think outside the box. Like you said, I didn't think about that as leadership. But now... Live leaderly. You live leaderly in a whole different ways, you know, in your life. And that was one way, literally as a parent, you got to do the best you can. You brought those kids into this world. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you try the best you can to give them the best foot forward. And if you do that, you sleep well at night. And uh, I do sleep well at night now that I see you and I see Karen living your own lives. And so, so on that, uh, we, we've mentioned kind of this theme a couple of times uh, over the last couple of minutes. Um, our belief on the team that anyone can learn to lead. And I know you're part of the, uh, the team that, you know, put that together. So I, I think I know the answer to this, but do you, <laughs> do you think anyone can learn to lead dad? I absolutely do. I know everyone keeps talking about hey, born an actual leader or not. Uh, to me, uh, 
you're born, you don't have certain tools that you'll need to be a leader. You may have some insights, but uh, you can learn to lead. But it takes the person to want to learn. So, yeah, anyone can learn to lead. Maybe we say anyone that wants to learn can learn to lead. Okay. So once you put that, once again, looking towards yourself, self-awareness, your weaknesses. I know I'm a co-founder of uh, our Leaderly app, but that's what it is. We want everyone to have the opportunity uh, to learn. Put some of those tools in your tool bag. Later on, uh, you'll, you'll see that, yeah, okay, no matter how small the task may be, you'll learn that you can lead. Once again, don't sell yourself short. It's not going to come overnight, but it comes with you taking that step forward to say, I want to learn how to lead. It starts with you wanting to, but once you once you get over that, then then anyone anyone can learn to lead. Nothing's worse than forcing someone. You know what happens there when you're forced to take a course that you don't want? You don't even recall anything. For me, learning to lead is a lifelong skill. You're going to be able to use it throughout your life. And uh, so I, I really do believe that anyone can learn to lead, anyone who wants to learn. And so we'll wrap up shortly, Dad, but... Uh, I'll turn it back over to you if you have any final thoughts or final advice for, for anyone maybe trying to take that next step or make that jump into, into leadership in their life. Yes, yeah, so I'll close out by, you know, I gave you that example, how a 10-year-old kid learned how to lead, if you will. Uh, but now as I'm talking to, let's say, folks that are just, just now getting out there, possibly going to learn to be a team leader, don't sell yourself short. You want to be a leader? Then guess what? You got to do the right things to become a leader. You, you got to learn, become competent. You don't get that overnight. You got to start gathering the skills to do that. And one of them is believing in yourself. Once you believe yourself, be true to yourself. You start right there, be true to yourself, then give yourself a shot because you can do it. You can do it. Don't tell yourself short and, and be that example, whether you're uh, bringing up sand and rocks up the hill or helping people shine shoes or leading them in combat. All right, Dad, well, thanks so much for, for coming on the show, sharing your story, sharing your thoughts. And for all those listening today, this has been the Live Leader We podcast.